grab a seat. Give him a hand. Thank you, Lord. Amen. And um, was there anything else I needed to mention? Yes, each week. So each week in March, we're going to have a focus on a different aspect. So next week, I think we're looking at um, India. Annie? India. India. Yes, and then the week after, it's going to be Zambia. And so it's going to be amazing. We're going to hear some vision. We're going to hear some stories of transformation. I know for me, a big part of my journey behind, you know, coming towards this point um, in this community was a young boy that I worked with in a high school, and his name was Brendan. And uh, this, this young kid was very gaunt, very skinny. He grew up in a house where there was domestic and family violence. There was alcohol. He'd come to school dirty and... Um, and he just was just seeking and craving affirmation. And I remember seeing this young boy and uh, my heart went out to him. I was a teacher in a high school at the time and the Lord led me progressively into uh, child protection work and I was working for the New South Wales government. But I started out a couple of years in education and I was teaching history and English and doing a few different things. And, and then slowly God moved my heart and created this opportunity to... Uh, work in, in welfare in that school and, and the school was so into what we were doing they gave us an entire building to run this program. The school gave us, it used to be an old bunker that they'd store back in the day, um, it had a huge steel door like this thick and you know it was just we painted it fire engine red and all the disadvantaged kids came with me and we renovated that whole space and then I got them enrolled in TAFE and we did a, a mechanics course together and I taught them life skills. And so this little boy, Brendan, was part of that group. And um, this is what it means, you know, to reach people and transform lives. And a season came where we were coming down here and I had to um, leave that. And so all of these kids graduated. Um, a lot of them went into apprenticeships. They'd been, a lot of them, on the street um, in, in Sydney and uh, we got to see their lives transformed in such a big way. And this young boy, Brendan, contacted me after I'd left and he'd graduated, he went through school and said, look, just thank you so much for, for, for recognising me. And he completely changed and he went on to become a chaplain, um, which is incredible and um, completely transformed. And, and so for me, this is very personal, this work that we do. Um, I wasn't necessarily representing the church at the time, but Christ was in me. Christ is in us, the hope of glory. And so we take this message, we go forth with um, the power of the Holy Spirit and with the love of God poured into our hearts, it says in Romans 5.5. 5. And um, when we cry out, Abba, Father, and say, Father God, you know, there's something of the, the presence and the power of God that is manifest through us and... Um, that changes lives and so I just really want to encourage us today. So I'm going to bring us the word. That's actually kind of a bit of a segue between, you know, that story of, um, you know, kind of being involved in the community and Aussie aid but, but God's word, you know, is incredible. It transforms our life. It transforms our life and I want to encourage us today about how do we receive from the word of God? I've read the Bible. I've been a Christian now for probably about 40 years. I grew up in a Christian home and I was part of a very conservative, uh, fringe kind of Christian group at first. Um, 
you know, uh, Seventh-day Adventist church, and God bless them. There's some great people within that movement. Uh, God bless them. Um, but some of them uh, have some very strict views, some very legalistic views. And God had to set me free. He had to bring me into a sense of his grace. I saw God as maybe someone who was angry, who was wrathful all the time. And I, God had to set me free and liberate my view of who he was. And it, it, it actually influenced the way that I read and received the word of God. And, um, and so, you know, I've read the Bible in one year. I've done kind of different uh, programs and SOAP and there's all of these other acronyms that you can use. But, you know, when I got saved, I'd say at, at 14, and then I'd say again at 19, I got baptised. I can only describe what happened as um, the most incredible day of my life. The most incredible day of my life was meeting Jesus Christ and was receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. And I can only say that what went from that point on was just this um, love for the Word of God, a love for the Scriptures. And not just um, like a piece of literature, like you'd read Shakespeare or something like that. It is fundamentally different. All Scripture, it says, is inspired by God and profitable for correction and teaching and reproof and training in righteousness that the person or the man or woman of God might be thoroughly equipped, it says, for every good work. That's the power of the word of the God. It, it, it's absolutely life-transforming. And I know we can come into seasons where we're dry, where that doesn't happen for us, and that's okay. It's okay to have seasons where we are dry. But I'm here today to tell you that a time is here where God is going to anoint his church. He's going to fill us afresh with his Holy Spirit, and he is. And the word of God is coming alive for you. The word of God is coming alive for you in a new way, in a new way. And so, because, you know, it's really an issue of do we believe that God speaks to his people today? Do we really believe that? Now, yes, we can say it's, it's the scriptures, it's the word of God, but it's actually more than that. Because do you know what Jesus says? I think it's uh, John 5.39. He says, you search the scriptures... So here's the Pharisees, right? They're reading every dot and tittle. They're kind of, kind of going through this historic, literal kind of literary perspective that we still use today. They're searching through it, thinking that in them there's life. You search the Scriptures because you think in them there's life and yet they speak of me and yet you don't come to me. Isn't that profound? We can actually get stuck on the Scriptures as a stumbling block almost if we don't do what they say. This is profound because Jesus is saying, blessed are those, in Luke it says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and do it. There's another step. Sometimes we can just get caught in religious duty and we read our Bible and we pray and we do our good work for the day. And sometimes we think it's like this tick box of somehow I'm having to please God. God is already pleased with you because of what Jesus did. That frees you up just to have a go and to do something a bit different. We're not saved by works. But from faith, we do the good works that God's prepared for us, it says in Ephesians 2, before the creation of the world. And so I want us today to understand that we're free to explore the word of God in ways that are 
infused, dare I say, with the Holy Spirit because we spiritually appraise, it says, in the New American Standard Bible, we spiritually appraise the Logos. We spiritually appraise the Scriptures, the Word of God. It's the Holy Spirit and the Word of God coming together and that's who we are as a church. We are people of Word and of Spirit. We're both. Jesus was both. Jesus upheld the authority of Scripture and yet it says in John as well that he, uh, in John 5, that he was anointed um, with the Holy Spirit more than anyone else. He had the, he had the, it says that he had the Spirit without measure. Without measure. We're, we've got a measured response from God because we, we, we know in part, we prophesy in part, but he knew and he knows in full. He had the Spirit, it says, without measure. And so words... Words, when we look at the word of God and when we understand the power of words, you know, you and I and every human on the face of this earth, we have been graced with authority, whether we know it or not. Um, in Genesis, it says that God created through the word of God. He created the heavens and the earth and all material in this universe through his words. Through his words. And in fact, he gave to the first people, Adam and Eve, he gave them the ability to name. So they had authority in their words. He didn't name them. God didn't say, here's a cow. You'll now know it as a cow. He says, what are you going to call it? And he says the same thing to us. What are you going to have authority over in your world? What are you going to call into being that is not as though it is? As it says in, in Romans 4, God calls things that are not as though they are. And so we have this, this ability, our words can bring life or they can hinder life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, it says in Proverbs, and those who love it will eat its fruit. What fruit are we eating at the moment from our words? And so this is powerful. I, I read this quote um, in the NIV commentary, um, and it'll come up for you. It says, preaching creates a power sphere in which, we f in, uh, in which and from which people live. For language is the tool we use to shape reality. Preaching is the opportunity every preacher has to bring order out of chaos on the basis of the word of God. So as God brought <clears throat> material life into existence, we cooperate with the word of God and we speak life into situations. So that's why worship is powerful. Because we're declaring through praise the words that agree with who God is. Yeah? We're agreeing with who God is. When we pray scripture or when we pray to our Heavenly Father, we're creating realms of possibility where our heart is open to God's possibilities, not just the possibilities of our mind. That's why it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay? This is the power of God. This is the word of God. God desires us to have a rich and vibrant life in his word. When I came to faith, I'd moved to Sydney. I was at a very low point. I'd been in a very enmeshed relationship. I was full of fear and doubt and insecurity. God met with me. I'd got saved at 14, but, you know, sometimes you've just got to live a little bit in order for God to, for you to understand um, what life is really about in this broken world. And then God can rescue you. 
And he does this. He did this time again with, with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You know, he does it with the church today. Did it with Israel. And he leads us into a place where we, we understand his salvation. And so I, I came into this place where I needed God. I needed salvation. And uh, I was in my bedroom. I would just got filled with the Holy Spirit powerfully. And I was walking down the street at DY at 2 a.m. one morning and got powerfully filled with the Holy Spirit. I didn't speak in tongues because I was water baptised a few weeks before. And, but I didn't get filled with the Holy Spirit yet. Wasn't, wasn't speaking in that heavenly language. And, um, but I'm going down this street. I got filled powerfully. And then I went home and I picked up my Bible and I'm reading the Gospel of John. And it was like the words were penetrating my heart. Now, the scriptures talk about this. They, t- they call it illumination. The Holy Spirit illuminates the scriptures. Another word for that might be a rhema word. The word rhema in Greek means an utterance. So God's speaking to you. He takes the logos and he utters it to you in a personal way. And that's what we'd say in, in uh, Christian circles is a rhema word. It works similar to prophecy, but it is a bit different at the same time. I can maybe explain that later. And so, you know, we should be expecting God to speak to us. We, we should always expect God to speak to us. Now, there are times where, you know, it's just a, a, you know, a prayer time before the Lord and nothing, heaven's not falling. I'm not kind of, you know, doing cartwheels or something and, you know, fire's falling. It's not about that. It's about having times where my heart is set aside for God to speak to me if he wants to. And he wants to. He does. He wants to speak to us. So let me explain this a little bit more. That There are two words um, in the Greek, in the New Testament, which refer to the scriptures. One is logos. This is the principally the total inspired word of God. And also Jesus himself is known as the logos. And so John 1.1 you know, um, in Luke 8, 11, the seed of the word of God is referred to as the logos, okay? Um, the second Greek word um, is rhema, and uh, this is about, um, it refers to the spoken word, literally it means to utter something, so if God speaks to someone or if, if a, a person speaks to another person, the word rhema is, um, now, some people downplay that a little bit and just say oh, they're interchangeable, but actually they're used quite specifically uh, in many places. And so the best way to think about this, about the word, um, and we've got it coming up for you, is, um, is uh, it says uh, Jesus is the living Logos, so John 1.1. 1, 1. The Bible is the written Logos, and the Holy Spirit utters the spoken Logos. That last one is what we would call a rhema word. Now, when I get in front of the scriptures, when I'm reading the word of God, I'm expecting um, it not just to speak to me historically and culturally, and it is the word of God in and of itself, but I'm expecting God to highlight for me something that's personal, something that's going to help me grow into maturity in Christ. It's going to help me grow up in my understanding of the authority that I have in Christ. And so these, and Paul says, in fact, in Ephesians, until we all attain the unity of the faith, we grow to maturity, this is the role of the Word of God. Now, we hear that. It's preached. It's communicated. Um, but also, we can, 
we can get into the Word ourselves. So try to remember that. Um, Jesus is the living Logos, the Bible is the written Logos, and the Holy Spirit utters the spoken Logos. I want to take us into um, a bit of a, a passage here in 1 Corinthians 2, uh, 12 to 15. And this kind of outlines for us a, what Paul's speaking to the Corinthians here about in this particular passage is our knowledge of God. Our knowledge. Now, Jesus, um, you know, and this is, I, I find this a, a personally a, a point of difference in, in theology between some churches. I think um, Christians, are, all Christians are beautiful people. Um, but there's something called cessation that some people teach, and we don't teach that here. This is not us. We do not teach cessation. We do not teach that somehow the gifts and the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit died with the early church or remained only with the early church. Um, Jesus never said that. In fact, he said that these signs shall follow those who believe. They will cast out demons. Jesus had an expectation that we go forth with the power of God and with the word of God. In fact, in Hebrews, it says it's alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's not dead. It's alive. And so... Um, you know, we, we have this experience and, and Paul builds on this in 1 Corinthians 2, 12 to 15. Let's read together. If you're turning there in your Bibles or it'll come up for you. And Paul says, and we, that is the church, have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know, just take note of that word, so that we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. Isn't that a beautiful a beautiful statement of truth. And we've received God's spirit, not the spirit of the world. So when you, when you get saved, I love um, what's happening in you, Sam, at the moment. Wonderful Sam down the back there. She's um, at Connect Group this week and was just full of questions, alive. Something's happening in your spirit, Sam, that is beautiful. And you're hungry for the word of God. And so I gave her this book that Inga and I have used in the past called The Purple Book and it's a book on discipleship and I'm sure she's going to eat it up and she's got full of questions and this is God's spirit at work in our hearts, you know, hungering for, for spiritual truth, for the manna that comes from heaven and so, um, and God's, it says here in the word, and we have received God's spirit so we can know the th wonderful things God has freely given us. Now, the Greek word here for know is oida. And it means to have seen or perceived or to be aware or conscious or to understand. It's personal. We're conscious of God's spirit. It's not like I have a theological framework that says, here's the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And if I just kind of believe that somehow, that that. No, it's a, it's a personal relationship. God wants to commune with you. He wants to commune with you through his word and through his Holy Spirit. So Paul's saying here that he's given us his spirit so that we can know. It's a relational term. It's not a head knowledge, no. It's, it's a relational term so that we can know the wonderful things. God is full of wonder and beauty He's to be explored and, and reveals himself. I think of Moses who stood on that mountain and he says, show me your glory. 
show me your glory. He, he, he is a man who wrote the law, and yet he's, he's, on a, he's up in a mountain saying, Lord, show me your glory. He wasn't interested, like, yes, I've got to give a law to these people, and it's your word, and it's truth, but actually where he is, and in fact his protege Joshua stayed back in the tent of meeting because he just wanted to be with the Lord as well. So the word of God is, is truth. It's given to us. It was given to Israel, it says, as a tutor. It's God's word. It is true. But the power to live that comes through the Spirit. It comes through the Spirit. We must be people of the Holy Spirit. We must be people that seek God's Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will always point us back to Jesus. The Holy Spirit will always equip us to live a Christ-centered life, not a self-centered life. But we must engage him. The Logos must become Rhema for us at different points. I'm not saying it's all going to come alive at once. I mean, we, we wouldn't know what to do with that. But it, God gives it to us. He feeds us his word. He goes on to say in verse 13, When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. So he's not here using his rational mind. We read earlier, or we, I spoke earlier about um, uh, 2 Timothy 3, uh, where it says all scripture is inspired or God-breathed. These are spiritual words, appointed. Um, in fact, I think it's Psalm 118. <laughs> the very, very centre of the Protestant Bible says it's better to trust in God than in the strength of man. Kind of bang, right in the middle, you, you read it, it's like there's all of these little pointers in there that are quite incredible to the, the power of Scripture. And so, when we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom, instead we speak words given to us by the Spirit, so that's how Paul's getting his revelation. You know, he says, I think it's in um, Colossians, or maybe it's Galatians, but he talks about, I didn't come up with these words, you know, through out of myself. God gave them to me. He's very clear about that. It's the same Holy Spirit that lives in us who wrote the New Testament and the Old Testament and he's here with us today. Um, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But when people, but people who aren't spiritual, so who aren't regenerated, who aren't born again, can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. So what that's kind of saying in there, there's a discernment that lives within us where we can evaluate, we can test things, we can test the Spirit, we can test um, God's uh, word to us or prophecy. There's other things. We can spiritually appraise things and we understand it. So it's like me when I came to faith in Jesus and I was reading the gospel of John it was literally leaping off the page and I'm going this is different like and I I couldn't stand in the room I literally would be and I was on my own I had there was no crowd there was no, no nothing Jesus just met with me and said here I am and so I have followed him ever since so we spiritually appraise things we live by the rhema by the word of God, by the Logos that comes alive in us. I love what it says in, in Matthew 4.4. 4. 
But Jesus told him no. So he's, he's resisting the enemy here. The scripture says, people do not live by bread alone, but by every rhema, it says, or word that comes from the mouth of God. So every rhema, there's, there's times where we, we, we have to, you, you're in a moment where you know you've got a, God's called you in this direction, but everything is standing in front of you. This is what happened to Jesus in Matthew 4. He was tempted. He was um, tempted and on three occasions he's had to come back with the rhema of God. Now he could have picked out any old scripture, the logos, and just said, yep, this will do. But no, he, he had an insight here about what he needed to fight with. And in fact, Paul picks up on this uh, in, in um, you know, Ephesians 6, 17, and I'll get to that in a minute. But we don't live by bread alone. You can't fill your life, you can't just fill your natural stomach and expect to be sustained. You can't fill your life with just natural things, comforts, let's go on another holiday, let's do this, let's buy a new car or let's kind of watch more, you know, YouTube or, you know, whatever it might be because I just need to relax more. Well, actually, no, there's a hunger inside us and we actually... I'm desperate for the presence of God. Now, those other things are good in their own measure. I'm not saying don't do those things. Live, live life. Live life. Live it well with others. But keep room for the word of God. It'll satisfy you. We are body, soul and spirit. And we don't live by bread alone, but by every rhema, it says, that comes from the mouth of God. So how rhema works for me, I want to share with you practically for a moment in the time that we've got left. I always think about Psalm 1, 1 to 3. It says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. And so... God can't give me a rhema word if I'm not in the Logos, all right? Number, number one, you've got to be in the Word of God. Now, whether you hear it here on a Sunday and God speaks to you, I mean, Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. We have a role to feed you, to bring you the Word of God. That's valid. But if you can go a step further and feed yourself as well, you will grow. You will grow, okay? And so... We, we need to come into a place where we can feed ourselves. We're not just on milk, but we're on solid food, the Bible says. And so here it says in Psalm 1, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. To meditate means to mutter or to turn over. So Tara made reference to this um, last week, or maybe a couple of weeks ago, about lex Lectico Divina, which is a method of basically reflection on scripture and I've done this for many years as well and basically you'd read a passage like this say through once quite slowly you're asking the Holy Spirit Lord show me what you're speaking to me today now obviously the word of God means something in its own right but what it does it personalizes it the Holy Spirit goes um, for example I think this is what Watchman Nee gave this example but um, you know, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's the Logos, right? The Rhema would say, God loves me so much. It goes from the objective to the personal. He loves me. 
I've had a revelation that God loves me. He loves you. Now, this doesn't change our salvation. We're all saved by grace. Whether you get a rhema or, or not, if you've given your heart to Jesus, I'm talking here about our sanctification. I'm talking here about going deeper with the Lord. And if we want to come into a place of revival, where our hearts are revived, we've got to start with the Word of God. Because the Holy Spirit will meet us there. This is not a word to condemn anyone. If you, you might read one small passage of Scripture and just reflect on that for a week. I'd rather read a small passage of Scripture and get something out of it than read a ream of Scripture and it, it's just a historical document or, you know, doing an exegesis. Now, don't get me wrong, I, I believe in exegesis. I believe in being true to the Word of God. But we've got to actually have both. We've got to, we've got to come into a place where we, we're hearing the rhema word of God. And so we've got to meditate. Meditate on the word of God. The next point I do with it is when it's spoken to me, I, I do what Ephesians 6.17 says. It says, put on salvation as your helmet. So it's talking about the full armour of God in the previous passages. And take up the sword of the spirit, which is the rhema, the word of God. So you can take the Logos and try and put on someone else's armour. I'll use this scripture. This will fit you. Just, just say this. Now, God in his grace will probably answer that prayer. All right? Right? Yes, we, we heard a funny story. I won't go into it. But, but in, our, in our infancy in Christ, we can do many things in faith. And they might even, we realise later, they're a bit misguided. But, but God turns up because we have faith in him, not because we've got our theology right. <laughs> and so, but it says, put on the helmet of salvation and take up the sword of the spirit, which is the rhema, or the word of God. So, you know, there have been times in like, you know, I will not leave you or forsake you, I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. Um, Psalm 138 verse 8 is my, one of my rhema words. The Lord gave this to me in a period over about, I'd say maybe five to seven years where I was um, struggling with, I know I was called to serve God and I was on and off staff at Riot and, and God was doing a work in me but it wasn't quite happening the way I thought it would. And I had to surrender. Another one's out of Job. And it says, he controls my destiny. So these have been rhema words for me. They're the logos. But as I've read them, they've jumped out. And I've gone, wow, that's for me. That's for me. Now, prophecy, okay, is, is similar. And God just speaking to us by his spirit, he might say, go and do this or go and do that. I would say to you, that's a different experience. Okay, it's, it's all God's spirit. A rhema relates to the word of God, the logos, being highlighted to us. Prophecy operates in the body, okay? There's usually a witness of two or three, and so I'll often say if you're giving someone a prophecy, go with another person, keep it safe, make sure there's a witness of two or three. Okay, God giving you a prompt in your spirit is just God speaking to us. That's just the life of the Holy Spirit in us. A rhema is something beautiful. It, it, it's the word of God, the logos brought to life. And so I want to um, highlight that for us today because I believe that all of us, I read, I read a one-year Bible, um, uh, Nicky Gumbel, it's an incredible um, spirit-filled man, uh, Church of England minister. He's now retired, but he continues to run some stuff in the background and one of this is his, is his app and um, I love it. I've done it now for the last three years. 
But also, when I'm up in the morning, a new practice that I've just been reawakening is just taking a passage. I started in Psalm 23 two weeks ago and just reading through and just saying, Lord, what do you want to say to me personally? Just sitting in that. I might be there for half an hour. You might have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. Just saying, Lord, and I just read it through once, twice, a third time. And then you could journal the bit that jumps out and say, what's the Lord saying to me? What do I need to do? And now how do I take that? Holy Spirit, show me how to now live that out. Live that out. And so I just want to encourage us, like worship, our worship has been incredible. I just want to honour you in particular, Glocko. You have done an incredible job with those loops. Like you can just see the... And we are experiencing the blessing. Not many people would know that, but Glocko does a lot of hours each week in the background doing these loops that bring a fullness of worship, a fullness of honour to the Lord through his gift. And so we just want to honour you and I just thank you for everything that you put in. Well done. And so just in closing today, how do we get a richness like we'd get in worship How do we get that in the Word of God and these other domains of what God would say is life for us? Well, I just want to give us three, in the next 30 seconds, three little tips. One, make a time. You've got to be practical and you've got to be ruthless. And it's the hardest one for me. I have, my ADHD brain at times is, does the thing that's in front of me and I get distracted and you've got to make time. If that's down at the beach, if that's down with the horses, if that's down with doing art or craft or something, if you just like to have a cup of tea, make a time and create a space. You've got to have both of those practically. And last one, ask the Holy Spirit to help you in the Logos, in the Word. Just ask him to say, Lord, what do you want to show me today? And just journal that down. Reflect on that. And uh, what you'll find is the word of God won't return to you void. It won't. When you take the word of God and you put it into practice, you're not just a hearer but a doer, and it's transforming you, what you'll find is there's a life in the Holy Spirit that comes alive in you and a joy and a refreshing. Let's stand today. going to pray for us and um, then invite Tara maybe to come forward, Emily, and just um, share the offering. Uh, we'll just take up an offering soon. We didn't do that. So...